welcome back to 10 and 20, official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust. My name's Brad. This week is the second part in a two-part series on Mariah Reddick, a woman who was enslaved at Carnton, but whose life was so much more than just that. I'm speaking this week with the Battle of Franklin Trust's director of African and African American history, Christy Farrow. Last week, we covered a lot of Mariah's life prior to the war. This week, we'll focus on her life after the war, and we're going to begin by talking about her relationship with Carrie McGavick, the woman who owned her prior to the war. So the relationship, because I do want to deal with this relationship between Carrie and Mariah. There was an emotional bond between Carrie and Mariah. That is very evident in the fact that Every single time Carrie's children had a child, Mariah was the one that was with them. There is a firsthand account of a family member who said, or actually, it's in Carrie's obituary, and it said that Mariah was very obviously upset at Carrie's funeral. She was one of the deepest mourners. And, you know, you have to look at at that fact that it's early in the 20th century, and you have that loyal old negress idea that was in mariah's obituary Mm. okay you have that and you look at that i see that i absolutely see that but i also see all of the descendants of carrie mcgavick mariah came and she took care of them and it says that she was with them during all of their afflictions i don't understand it i don't i don't understand the emo i get it because even within dysfunction Human beings are human beings, and we forget that. We forget the humanity that exists within people sometimes because the institution of slavery is devoid of humanity. From a white perspective or a black perspective, it's devoid of that humanity. But human beings create human relationships amongst the worst dysfunction. That's what happens. And so it's impossible for me to understand really the relationship that existed between Carrie and Mariah, because I don't understand how you could have affection for someone who owned you, or likewise, Carrie having affection for someone she owned. That doesn't make sense to me, but I have gotten to a point, and I would say even more so reading through Mariah's biography that I wrote, you know, like I've been reading through it, just trying to make sure I had every detail down, and I thought, I don't need to understand this. That's, mm. n- that's not my job. My job is not to understand the relationship that these two people had or to try to make excuses for it or to try to, you know. Sugarcoat it. Sugarcoat it, yeah. My job is to just understand that it existed and it meant something to them. Right. And it's not my my relationship. It was their relationship. And I don't know. History is a symphony. Every note counts. (laughs) I like that. It's true. Yeah. You know, every... History is a symphony. It's just, it is. And it, it works together so perfectly to create what we have today. Every tiny little note, Mariah's a note. You know, the relationship she had with Carrie, it's a note. I just, oftentimes we're so, we psychologically as human beings have to understand everything. And there are things we're never going to understand. And that's okay. I, I don't have the brain where I have to understand. I, I can look at it and go, you know what? It's okay. It meant something to them. We'll leave it at that. Now, do you think that the, the any level of their relationship could have been, you know, for, for Mariah, 
navigating these post-war years where things were incredibly difficult, especially for somebody like her who was formerly enslaved, but to be able to maintain a relationship with the McAvick family, who were some of the most highly respected people in the county, that had to have made her life somewhat easier. Absolutely. Absolutely it would have. But she also had children and buried them in their cemetery. Hmm. And there were other options at that point. Toussaint, where, Mar- where Mariah is buried, they were, there were burials going on at this point in 1877 when she buried her children here. So there are certain moments where you think, as a mother, and you're free, are you going to, if you don't have some sort of emotional tie to a family, it's such a difficult thing, you yeah. know, because I don't want anyone to think that I am saying, oh, she was a part of the family and they, you know, because you, you can get tied into that and people think, oh, slavery wasn't so bad because they were tied there. I just try to look at each individual relationship as I'm researching them. And I realize as a mother, as a freed slave mother, are you going to bury your children in a cemetery? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that we'll ever be able to answer, but two of her children are buried here at Carnton. And who she had when she was free. In eighteen seventy seven. Married so not to Bolin Reddick. Yeah, not just free. She was free for twelve years. Right? Twelve years right. by this point. And she she and Bolin, I mean, they were he he had a good job, she had a good job. They had the means to purchase um, plots in Toussaint Louverture. And yet they chose to have their children buried here. Is it possible that Mariah was related to somebody in the um, slave cemetery here at Carnton? Like, is there any other way that she would have had a connection to that cemetery? I don't know that there would be any blood um, relatives of Mariah, because honestly, if she was purchased when she was 10 years old, I don't even know that um, that she had any idea where her family was. Well, I didn't know if maybe any, did she have any kids that she lost prior to the war? Oh, that's very true. Like maybe, is it possible that she had other kids buried in that cemetery? It is very possible that she had other children buried in that cemetery. Um, you know what? I never thought of that about that, Brad. That's a good point. But she might, I mean, yeah, it's complex, right? Right. We, we don't know. And we look back and we try to figure it out because that's our job. Sure. So that's a good point. So she could have had other children there and maybe she just wanted them all together. It could very well be. But to to assume that that's the case would be a mistake as well. Just, yeah, It's absolutely. okay to speculate on it, but mm-hmm. to assume that that's the reason is not fair to her story either. Yeah. The truth is we know that she buried two of her little boys in that cemetery. And one of them is a name that she picked up from the family. Isaiah and Winder. So she named one of her children after... Carrie McGavick, Carrie Winder McGavick. So, yes, it's interesting. Now, a lot of times names would be used for that same purpose as stay, what you were saying right here at the beginning, where you would um, be involved with the McGavick family because they were prominent. If you named and you gave them that honor of naming a child after them, perhaps then that your child would have um, maybe an easier life, Mm -hmm. you know? Things like that. So that was often done very purposely as well. I don't know that, I really don't think that that was the case with Mariah because I will tell you, I do think that there was, there was an emotional attachment between Carrie and Mariah. They were 10 and 14 years old, you know? So this isn't just a woman owning another woman. 
this was they did they did they went through their adolescence together and in a completely dysfunctional way <laughs> in, in a completely dysfunctional way but we often discount a human bond so what else post-war okay so you mentioned briefly I've, i have the riots like the said riot. that five yeah. times and then going back to something else so the race riots were here in franklin in 1867 and she did witness them she gives an account so that's the first time in any sort of well second time because remember 1866 is when she got married that's the first document her name is on in a public record is her marriage certificate in 1866 here in franklin as of yet who knows what i'll find tomorrow sure but um, in 1867. So this is sort of 1866, 1867, and 1868. She is all over the court records hmm. because in 1866, she got married. 1867, she saw the riots in downtown. She gave a firsthand account of it and what happened. And she was actually nursing the men afterwards in her house. They were coming back and she was taking care of the wounded. And I thought, oh God, that's so stinking amazing. Yeah. Isn't that a cool story? We did an article about the Franklin riot and the dispatch, the magazine that we put out. So I think I'll probably link to that in the description of this episode. So if you want to learn about that article or that riot, um, I'll link to it in the description. Perfect. And I, one, I love that she's nursing. I love that she's nursing in 1867 because it shows that she already has some of that skill, right? And then in 1868, Mariah and Bolin had split up and um mariah was seeing a man named william park and aggie odie who i think is related to harvey odie <laughs> so going back aggie's an older woman and aggie was staying with william park taking care of his children and aggie says that sometimes mariah was there at night and sometimes she was there in the morning <laughs> and she said in one time i saw her in his bed Oh, no. She said that in the court hearing. I was dying. I was reading the murder records, and I was dying. The transcripts of the actual um, trial, because what happened is is William Park carried Mariah. Carry means drove her. They say the word carry, which I love. They carried her down to um, William Park, carried Mariah down to Spring Hill, Tennessee. I don't know what she had to do, but she had to go to Spring Hill. And so Bolin went to William Park, and he said, don't be carrying my wife down to Spring Hill. You need to stay away from her. She's a married woman. And so um, then Mariah and William Park were walking along the street and they were heading towards William Park's house and Bolin walked up behind him on the street, pulled out a gun and shot him <laughs> and killed him. He killed him on the street. So. Wow. Yeah. Pretty and cool. what happened to Bolin? Went to prison. He um, was he was tried here and from what i can understand and i don't understand legal documents 100 percent, but i've been reading through the murder records for this purpose to try to understand for to for the podcast there were two panels of a jury because i guess they wanted to be really certain to send him off to prison because they were sending him off prison for a long time for murder there were two panels and fb carter was on one of them really yes wow fountain branch carter just in case you yeah. don't know fountain branch carter how cool is that? So I was reading, I was like, oh my God, that's F.B. Carter. So so he like had jury duty, basically. And, yeah. And it happened to be- There were two panels, two panels of a jury, and he was on one of them. And so two years later, because this is 1868, and he's sentenced to 15 years, the judge in charge of the case said that I'm the jury did the best they could. 
Um, you know, I'm satisfied that they did the best that they could, but I'd like you to, um, if you can, he's already served two years. If you could, what's that called when you pardon? And Fountain Branch Carter is one of the petitioners who signed the pardon too. Very interesting. I did not right? know that. Yeah, no, me either till I was reading through it. We always knew we had the newspaper articles, so we knew that Bolin killed William Park. Um, however, I just recently contacted the uh, the state archives. I'm like, hey, do you have all the documentation for the pardon? Can we see that? Um, why, you know, like the trial? So we got everything just this week. And we were reading through it. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. I love connections. I love connections so much. You know I love connections. Yes. Like I can sit and like do connections all day long but so then he gets out of jail then comes back and lives with mariah and i'm like how long was he in jail oh my god two years okay so he so mariah's like splits up with him but they're still technically married yeah sees another guy her ex her current husband but ex sort of bolin kills him spends two years in prison and then comes back and is living with mariah again yes wow it's like a soap opera it's like these are real people it, it and I think that's them. what when when people say that about your tour, I get it because it feels like as I'm getting this, she be, she's becoming much more of a real person to yeah. me. It, because we only talk about dates and times and places. We don't talk about their human stories. I'm telling you, stuff like this makes you realize the humanity of people because they're just like us. Yeah, you know, it's just things that we would experience in our lives. We see all of these people that came before us. They're old. You know, they're old and or they're old fashioned, older, old fashioned. And we don't realize that when they were young and they were out and they were living their lives, they were just like us. And so stories like Mariah's, especially with William and William Park and Bolin Reddick, they bring home the humanity to us of she's just like us. Sure. You know, she's she's living in a different time. She has different worries on a daily basis. But people are the same you know? it's and it's so easy when talking about people from the past to either turn them into completely saints or completely sinners yeah but when we think about her like there's this amazing moment in her life where she can get married to somebody of her choosing and then a few <laughs> years later she's like i don't know if i want to be with this guy anymore like it's so human it is so human i love it so much and so then she has three children which winder and isaiah the two born in the cemetery with bolin with bolin <laughs> so he's <laughs> not just living there like yeah. they're Together again. Yes, they're together again. And then (laughs) she has a third child, John Watt Reddick, who was her youngest child. Let me tell you, she's in her late 40s by this point. Okay. She's in her late 40s having John Watt Reddick. She's a grandmother multiple times by the time she has her youngest child because she was very young. She was a teenager when she started having her children. Mm. So she is a grandmother multiple times. And she basically, she and Bolin were able to purchase a house um, right across from the Carter House. You know where the AutoZone is today? Sort of catty corner from the Carter House. She owned a house right on Columbia Pike in the early 20th century. She and Bolin lived there and lived out their retirement, honestly. And then in 1910, Bolin fell off of a, he was sort of the trash man for the town of Franklin, riding around on a wagon, a cart, picking up trash. And he fell off his cart and died. So you're telling me this crazy moment in their past where he killed her lover. Spent two years in prison, got back together. And then they were married for 40 years after that? Yep. (laughs) Yep. And it seems happily. Right. (laughs) So I don't know if maybe she got all of her um, wild oats sown in (laughs) the two years he was in prison. (laughs) Or maybe. (laughs) I don't know. But But eventually they're like, we're just going to get past this. We're going to pretend like it didn't happen. I thought, hmm, uh, maybe she was just too afraid. She's like, no, he's crazy. He he is. One of his defenses was that William Park 
had an umbrella and he hit him with it and I'm like umbrella gun a <laughs> <laughs> little bit different there umbrella gun right you know like unless you're the penguin from Batman <laughs> <laughs> oh god it was so funny but he was pardoned he was actually pardoned by the governor but I love the fact really that, interesting yeah, governor centers which is interesting because if you go connections Jack was pardoned by um, at Carter House, Jack Carter was pardoned by Governor Brownlow hmm. just a couple years before he was pardoned by Governor Centers. So um, now Mariah did raise one of her grandchildren as her own, but in the 1910 census, it said she gave birth to 11 children and, and six were still alive. Okay. And I cannot figure out which six they are, which is what's been driving me crazy the last week. But interestingly enough, and I think this is an interesting thing, and it, nobody else might find this interesting, and you might have to, you know, put this out. But on all the census records afterwards, one census record says she could read and write. Um, the other census records all say that she could read but not write. I'm like, how can you read and not write? Hmm. How is that possible? I've seen that so many times, though. It'll say read but not write. And when she died in 1922, she left a will. Um, because she owned property, so she left a will. She put her mark on it. It's not a signature. Interesting. How do you read and not write? That's uh, that's a that's something to dig into. Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea how. That's I wonder. Possible. This is just speculation, but I wonder if she learned how to read when she was an adult. I wonder if just like the motor skills of learning how to write, not having developed those when you were a kid, maybe it'd be more difficult for you to do it when you're yeah. an adult. I don't or know. Or maybe she could just read minimally. Maybe, maybe. not knowing how to spell. Maybe, yeah, that could be. But still, interesting, no matter even, what. Yeah, yeah. I mean, still, you'd think your your signature would be the first thing to do, memorization. Sure. So it could be the motor skills thing. I don't know, but I thought that was interesting because I kept looking. I'm like, that has to be a mistake because one said she could read and write, and this is how you find something that sort of corroborates, right? So I kept seeing that one census record said she could read and write, and all the rest said she could read but not write. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. That's probably a mistake. But then I found her will, and it just has a mark. It says her mark. Yeah. And, I and thought, you think if she was going to sign anything, it'd be that. Yeah. And she hmm. wrote it, you know, a couple years. Interestingly enough, when she died, she left her house that she lived in and all her front room furniture to her youngest son, John. And then her granddaughter that she raised and her daughter, Mally, and um, her daughter-in-law, she left everything else to. She had a son, one or like two sons still alive at this point she didn't leave him anything interesting in fact she left the wife of her son stuff but not, not her him. son yeah i'm like what did he do there has to be something when did she die december 21st 1922 at her home on the columbia pike no death certificate doesn't exist i can't find it which is frustrating because i was hoping it would have her parents listed <sighs> so anything else anything else you would like to cover that we left out I mean, there are fun little things in her life, like things that humanize people. And these are things that I do like to say on tour because people know she was a slave. People know she was a slave. People know that she was owned by someone else. People know that her and Carrie would have had a relationship. So little things that I try to point out about Mariah are like, there are different things. I'll say she had 11 children. She survived all of them, but six. Um, she lived, she, she worked hard she made her own future she you know met freedom with a skill she was a sick nurse she bought her own house she owned her own house as a black woman in the south in 1920 you know two when she died she was you know her obituary was the front page of the newspaper 
And little things that I love is like she would hold parties for the baby, like the children she took care of and the babies that she delivered. She held a party in like the 1880s and invited like over 50 of the children that she had taken care of. That's amazing. Which would have been white and black. And they came and they said the youngest one was five weeks old at that point, which I do love. But little things, just like the fact that she sang in the choir at church. You know, this was a woman who walked to church. When you know where she lived on the Columbia Pike and you know how close the Shortridge Chapel is, she walked down there, most likely, right? Went to church. She sang in the choir. Little things like that make you realize that she really is just like us. She's she's going to church every Sunday. She's singing in the choir. She's, you know, having good old lady church food at church. And <laughs> I don't know. Uh, things like that, I think, make people more real even than the scandal just normal everyday things those are the things that i love and i think that when you're painting a portrait of someone to say something like that like i'll say mariah lived on columbia pike she you know went to church right down the road she sang on the choir in the choir on sundays that sort of paints a different image for people in their mind of the fact that she wasn't just a slave because that's what we always want to make people understand, especially with enslaved people. They often get relegated to just that one position and not just their humanity doesn't come out. And for Mariah, especially Mariah, I think just because we're here at Carnton and we're telling that story, but she's so easy to make human because we know so much about her. And that's not always the case with enslaved people. So a lot of times that's what they're whole world is relegated to is the fact that they were a slave does that make sense it does so but her life after the war is just as interesting and insightful and intriguing yeah mariah's story and i also don't want to sound cliche it's but it's an american story we don't learn about mariah's generation i want you to think about when we learn about race we learn about slavery and the civil rights Mm. We don't learn about those those two or three generations right in between. And we miss just this very powerful story of survival. Because <laughs> Mariah, when she met freedom, she met freedom in a very unsteady society. A society where the KKK is being founded just south of here in Murray County. And in 1867, she sees race riots. In 1868, there's an advertisement in the local newspaper telling from the KKK, telling the black people, watch out. We're coming for you. If you're bad, you better behave. We'll get you. We got Bill last night. And you realize, like, even educating your children. I've been reading a lot of Freedmen's Bureau records from this area. And the teachers, they were white teachers. They were... They were fearful of the KKK because they were targeting them. And the children, they're going to school. These are children. This is what Mariah, Mariah was sending her son to school. Imagine how overwhelming that is for a mother to know I'm sending my child to school and this might not be safe. And that's the world that she has to start to navigate and move forward. And she did it so beautifully. And she did it and she survived and thrived and moved forward and You know, when she died in 1922, her obituary was almost the entire front page of the newspaper. And her name is on stone in Toussaint Louverture. It's a great thing. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Christy for appearing on these last two episodes. This concludes our two-part series in the life of Mariah Reddick. But if you'd like to learn more, 
I encourage you to take a tour that we offer called the Slavery and Enslaved Tour. That is available in all three historic homes that the Battle of Franklin Trust manages. And you can learn more about it on our website, boft.org visit. Make sure to come back again in two weeks for more episodes. Subscribe on whatever podcast app is the most convenient and leave us a review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening.